Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing today? We good? Good. I'm excited about today. We're going to have some fun. Um, Christmas, it's almost here. As Jesse said, it's almost a week away, which is kind of wild to think about. And man, does time fly quickly. But uh, many of you probably know this already if you're here, if you're a regular tender. If not, I just want to clue you in, let you know where we're at. Uh, but we're actually in the middle of a series right now called Waiting for When. It's just a series that's right off the cuff of what we just did, Voices in the Wilderness. Uh, but what do we do in seasons of waiting, when we're just waiting for something or waiting on God? Uh, what do we do and how do we wait and how do we wait well? And so we're going to dive into the Christmas story today. But, but the small yet often overlooked yet super significant part of the Christmas story. And it's the story of the wise men. And so we're just going to kind of look at the Christmas story through the lens of the wise men. And, and here's the thing. I mean, it's so wild and so crazy, but, but such a small story actually has huge significance for every single one of us in this room, potentially more than other parts of the story. And this one is we're going to see that the wise men really are a representative of us in this really kind of cool and creative and clever sort of way. But we're, we're going to jump into it in a second. But to catch you up, if you hadn't heard the Christmas story before, or if you're just not used to it, or if you just need a refresher, here it is. Um, an angel of the Lord came to Mary, this virgin teenage girl, and the angel said, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will be the Savior of the world. She says, how, how can this be? And he just says, trust me, it's going to work, paraphrased version. So Mary and Joseph, eventually they get married and they travel to the town of Bethlehem. And this is where they have the baby. And so angels reveal to the shepherds out in the flocks, they're tending their flocks. And just in all their majesty and glory, they reveal and they sing songs and they say, guess what? Here's good news. Go see him. Go get him. Go right now. Go, go look at him. And so the shepherds move over. But then after Jesus' birth... It doesn't really even say how long after, but it's shortly after Jesus' birth is when the story of these wise men actually takes place. And it's so significant, and we're just going to talk about why. So Matthew 2, starting at verse 1, is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, open it up. Otherwise, we'll have Scripture on the screen here. But it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, which just means wise men, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one... Who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to, say this with me, worship him. We've come to worship him. Let's keep reading. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me. So that I too may go and, say it again, worship him. Let's keep reading. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and say it yet again. 
worshiped him. Are you seeing the theme? The theme of worship. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, with frankincense, and with myrrh. This story is one probably many of us are familiar with. Maybe we've read it before, or we learned it in Sunday school when we were younger, or maybe you've been relatively new to the church, but you've kind of had some sort of semblance or idea of what the story was. But, but let me just unpack some of the details that when we're familiar, this is kind of like a crux we have to get over sometime for those of us that are familiar with Scripture, but often we just we don't see what's right in front of us. We don't see details that are right in front of our face that we should notice and that we should pick up. And so think about this. There's wise men who come from the east. Okay, oftentimes in, you know, like today when you see nativity sets or live nativities or something like that, there's often how many of them? Three. There's often three wise men. There's nothing really in scripture that says there were just three of them, but they brought three distinct types of gifts, which is why the number three is often associated with them. But they're in the east. That's what the, the scriptures tell us. They're this mysterious far off land called the east. In the east um, of our centralized theme of location here, so like Bethlehem and Jerusalem, east of that are a number of countries. Two of them would be Persia, and Babylon. And the reason you have to know that is because it's significant, because Babylon, at the time, if you know your Old Testament, if you've read the Old Testament or, or the history of it, Babylon was very significant because it was a powerful country or a powerful empire that conquered land after land after land and people group after people group after people group. And so Babylon became this hub of not just culture, but of learning of education, and so different scriptures and different manuscripts and different evidence and, and, and I don't even know, like, how do, you, how do you describe it? Narrative of different cultures and people and history was all in one place. And it says the wise men were from this area, and so the wise men, the wise men, it's not really a title as much as it is a description. These men are smart. They're well-educated. They're growing up in one of the most um, dominating educational places in the world at the time. And so not just are they smart, not just are they wise, but they're also wealthy. And wise men at this time, these ones in particular, spent a lot of time with stars, studying astrology and astronomy. And so one night, as they're looking up at the stars, and we're just going to have some fun with some details today, but when do you see stars? Nighttime, right? Easy question, easy answer. So at night, imagine one of them or a couple of them, they're out and they're studying the stars and they're watching and noting differences and they see something that's so unreal, so unbelievable, so different that they go, that's significant. That's significant. It's not just one that's a little bit brighter than the others. They look at it and they go, this is a big deal. What could this be? What could this speak to? And so think about where do they live? We just talked about this. Babylon or Persia or one of these neighboring countries with access to all of this learning for centuries. And so here they go. They study and they start looking. They look up Jewish scriptures. They look up other scriptures or other, other documents or manuscripts or timelines or history. And they look it up and they find something that speaks to what this might be. And it's very, very significant. And so they start following it. They follow this star because they say, I think this leads us to the Messiah. And even as they say here, it says, I think this leads us to the king of the Jews. But there's a really good chance that these wise men aren't Jewish. 
So why leave everything? Why pack up the stuff? Why leave in the middle of the night to follow this star if this is for something that, not, that doesn't include you? Are you seeing where there's like some tension in the story? What, how do the wise men fit into this? Why would they leave? Why would they pack everything up and move? Why would, they, why would these wise men who really have no idea even who Jesus is seek him and then worship him? Why would they do that? Because it makes one sense if you're a Jew. Think about the history of the Jewish people here for a second. The Jews spent a long, long time of their history, hundreds and hundreds of years in captivity. Started in Egypt, 400 some years, they were captive. They were enslaved, they were abused, they were mistreated. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, please send us a Savior, send us a Messiah, one who you promised to us. And so eventually they're led out of Egypt by Moses and they're in the wilderness, but just a short amount of time later they become oppressed again, this time by a government, by a Roman government. And so the Jews, as they heard these prophecies or as they would read them, they were long awaiting a Messiah who would save them from their oppressor. Are you tracking with me? They wanted someone to save them from the oppressor that they could see, the Roman government or the Egyptian government. And so as they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting, they're looking for a Messiah, one who would make things right, who would even the score, who would establish them as powerful and bring them to their rightful place in the world. It would make one sense if the wise men were Jewish, excited to go see this baby that was born. But here's the thing. Most scholars or most studies agree that they weren't, that they were probably Gentiles, which means they understood something or recognized something profound, something incredible, something different. They recognized it and understood that they actually were included in the story. So as we go just even line by line as we, we read through Matthew, yeah, here's what it says. Eric, can you pop up Matthew 2 verse 1 back again? A um, couple things that we need to notice after Jesus was born, what town was Jesus born in? Come on, say it together. Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Let's play the story out. Think about it. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to where? Time out. Do you notice the incongruence? If Jesus is born in Bethlehem, why would the Magi go to Jerusalem? Can I ask you an easy question? What time of day do you see in stars? Daytime? Is that what I heard somebody say? Think about this. What, what time of day or night do we see stars? Imagine the wise men play this out. It's nighttime. You see something unbelievable, something different, something you've never seen before, and it speaks to significance. You pack up your stuff. You grab your buddies. You say, this is a big deal. We're not going to be left out. And you pack up the stuff, you pack the donkeys, you call the Uber, whatever it takes. You get on and you start tracking and you start following this star. I don't understand it. Is it moving? Is it, it's enough that they can follow it. They zero in on it and they follow it and it leads them somewhere. This removes all doubt that, that this is just some accident. It reinforces this is really important and significant. And so they start following it. But here's the thing. To travel, it's not like traveling today. There's no airplanes or Uber. Write that down. If you wrote that down, they jumped on an Uber. That was false. That was David's ad. 
As they're following, though, the sun likely rises, and can you see a star during the day? Probably not. So as they're looking for the star, who are they looking for? It says it right here. They were looking for the king of the Jews. Where does it make most sense? If you've been following something, you have a general idea of the direction that it goes, where, is, where does it make more sense than ever to go look for the next king? I heard capital. Even more than a capital, what about a palace? Because that's where you would find a king, right? These wise men who lose the star, even later it says they were overjoyed when they saw it rise again. They had lost the star. They went to Jerusalem. They're looking for the king. They go straight to King Herod. And they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Do you know where he is? And I love this. This is the most underrated phrase in all of the Bible. It says, uh, King Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Do you know why King Herod was disturbed? Because he was a psycho. Do you know this? That he actually had two sons and a wife that he had all killed. He put them to death because he thought they were threats to his throne. So imagine King Herod is disturbed because his power may be threatened. It's in jeopardy. And so he's disturbed, but why would Israel be disturbed? Here's why. Because he's a lunatic and he's in charge. He's got all the power, he's got all the wealth, and he's out of his mind. And so all Jerusalem, all of Israel was worried because here's a guy who feels threatened by something he hasn't yet found. And so the Magi say, hey, we're looking for him. And he calls together the chief priests and the elders and he says, where is this Messiah to be born? And they say, Bethlehem. And so he comes up with this conniving plan and he says, guys, here's the deal. I want you to go find it in secret. I want you to go find him. Go find him. When you find him, come tell me where he is so that I might come worship him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? No, because he's a psycho. So they leave. And they look, and it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and it led them to the very place of where Jesus and his mother were at. And it says, when they came up to him, they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Here's the question that I just want to ask over and over and over today is why? Why would they worship him? Especially as a baby or as a toddler. <clears throat> to understand why, we have to dig a little bit more in the Old Testament. And it says this, before jumping into some passages, God's plan from the very beginning of the world was that his salvation, that his son, Jesus, would be for the salvation of all people, not just the Jews. And so I'm going to take you on a journey. We're just going to go through this because I, I can just imagine where you're at right now. You're thinking, going, okay, what? this doesn't make sense. If, if God was the God of the Israelites, you know, the Jewish God, and he was saying, you are my people, and I, I'm, I'm going to give you a Messiah, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the nations, we're going to go all the way back to the time of Abraham. And so this is in Genesis chapter 12. God is speaking to Abraham, and he says this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And say this with me. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's go a little bit farther on in our Old Testament here. 1 Kings 8.60 says this. So that all the people of the earth. Who? All people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Let's go to Psalm 67. This is King David. That your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. Are you seeing a theme? Let's keep going. Isaiah 52. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of, say it with me, all the nations. And say it again. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And then this last one, I just, I love this one. I don't have a slide for it. But I want you to think about the Christmas story. And just as we talked about, the shepherds are in the field and they're tending their flocks and they're taking care of them. And then the glory of the angels shows up in the middle of the night and it's, they speak to the shepherds and they say this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, being the shepherds, were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for, say it with me, all people. Here's what the wise men were able to discern and understand long before almost anyone else in history. These wise, learned, non-Jewish men were able to read Scripture from a third-party perspective, not involved, not being oppressed by an Egyptian government, not being oppressed by a Roman government, not looking for, for something just to alleviate pain and stress for just right now, but understood that throughout the context of history, God had been working the entire time to redeem and to save who? All people. What does this mean for us? Most of us in this room aren't Jewish. We didn't grow up Jewish or we didn't convert to Judaism. We're not Jewish and yet from the very beginning what it started with, with God and Abraham is God said, you will be a blessing to the entire world, to all peoples and all nations and all tribes and all tongues. You will be a blessing. You will be my conduit for which how I reach and save the world. That it wasn't just exclusively for the Jews, but that through the Jews and th eventually through the church, the world would be blessed by the good news. Is that crazy or what? So this is just where I imagine, I mean, you see the, the wise men, as they're following the star and they get overjoyed and they've had such a long journey and they finally get to the spot and they see Jesus and imagine the expectation that they had versus what they saw and realized. I shared this first service, but last night when I was working on this, um, it was a little bit later in the night. And for those of you that don't know, Shannon and I just had a baby eight weeks ago. And so life is full of lots of adventures at our house right now. But Judah was having a hard time sleeping. And so Shannon kind of walked out and I said, I'll just take him. And so I take him and I put him on my chest. 
And I have my computer on my lap, and as I'm working, he falls asleep. And I just hear him snoring. He's just like his dad. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking through the perspective of the wise men. Can you imagine showing up with the understanding that God's Messiah for all people who restore and redeem the world is a baby or is a toddler? He can't change his own diaper or feed himself, but he can restore the broken relationship between all of us and God. Just think about that. Just allow that to compute in your brain for a second. The wise men understood something so significant. And here's the thing. When they understood who Jesus was, they were moved to do what? Worship him. How did they worship him? This is the fun part. I'm going to have some fun this morning with you. They brought gifts. It says they bowed down and they worshiped him. What was the first thing they brought? Gold. It's not real, so relax. All of you, oh, I hope he forgets it. First thing they bring is gold. What's the significance of gold? It's different in our time today. It's different in our culture. It's different around us. But back in the time, gold was a lot more prevalent. And what gold spoke to you is just high, high honor, royalty. As you would go before a king, you would bring something like gold. It was pure. It was valuable. And so it just spoke to the wealth and the value of the person that was receiving it. It spoke to a kingship. And so as the, the wise men show up and they bring gold, gold's the first gift that they offer, it speaks to Jesus' kingship even as a toddler. But let's keep going. What was the next thing that they brought? Frankincense. So this is frankincense. I'm going to attempt not to burn the building down. But frankincense, again, probably most of us in this room are not in the frankincense mining industry. Is that fair to say? It's not where we make our living. Uh, as part of my seminary education, um, one of the things that I got to do is travel to the Middle East. I went to Oman. You've heard me say this before. And uh, in Oman, this stuff's everywhere. Everywhere. You go to a market late at night, and there's, it looks like this. I mean, kind of just like little nuggets. They're like hard, and you burn them, or you can kind of melt them. And, and so you would burn them, and they're a fragrant offering. And the significance, without reading too much into it, but without ignoring it too, is that frankincense, God often talks to his people, and he talks about their offerings as a fragrant offering. Fragrance is associated with smell, that, that as we offer our, our gifts and we offer ourselves to the Lord, that it's received as a sort of frankincense type of offering. It's like a fragrant offering. And so frankincense, as you're sitting up front, you probably start to be able to smell it. It smells good. And it rises up. I mean, you just see the smoke. It rises up. And frankincense was always used in worship in this time period, it was, it was offered, it was a part of worship, it was normal that you would have smelly frankincense type offerings. But here's the last one, and I, I think of all of them, this one packs the most significance for the punch. What is this? It's myrrh. This was the third gift that the wise men offered, and, and myrrh, um, in this form, it's like an oil. And the reason I brought up the oil form and not, not one of these is that um, it smells really nice. You could smell it. 
It smells really nice, but it, nice, but it has two purposes uh, in Scripture. The first purpose of myrrh would be as like an anointing oil. So as King David was anointed king over Israel, even as a young boy, myrrh was often an oil that was used for anointing. Anointing means set apart for a specific purpose. So think, think about the significance here that as the wise men bring this gift of myrrh, the symbolism is saying you are set aside for something, something very important, something very significant. The frankincense speaks to the worship. We're worshiping you. The gold speaks to a kingship. But there's one other meaning behind myrrh that's easy to miss. And myrrh was also used in the embalming process. What's embalming? Dead people. I want you to fast forward to Jesus on the cross. One of the things that they offered Jesus as he's hanging there was this thing called gall. It was like vinegar mixed with myrrh. And they offered it to Jesus to drink, and then myrrh would also have been used to preserve his body afterwards. Do you see the significance that is engulfed in this story? And the wise man, I would venture to say, did not even understand the breadth of the significance of what they were offering, but God did. And they didn't know what would happen 33 years later when Jesus was crucified and when Jesus was beaten, when he was bleeding, when they would offer this drink to him and then they, they would bury him afterwards. They couldn't understand the significance. And I just, I had to say this exactly the way I wrote it so, so I get it right. They were moved to worship because even though they didn't understand how Jesus would do all of these things, how he would accomplish saving the world, how he would be the savior, even in this form of a baby, even though they didn't understand how, they finally understand who. That all of a sudden as they see Jesus in this little form of a baby, they see this was God's plan from the very beginning. That this baby would somehow, someday be capable of reconciling that which we as people couldn't reconcile on our own. So how do they, all, how do they worship? They bring gold. They bring frankincense. They bring myrrh. It says they, they prostrate before him. They bow down. They got low. They submitted themselves. They gave of themselves to the king who wasn't just king who is also God. God had promised for centuries earlier that Jesus, the Messiah, would save his people. And so here's the really important thing that, that we just can't miss. We can't miss, because if we miss it, we, we missed. It's like you can't even understand the significance, so don't, don't miss this. We as people, or we as Gentiles... Or, or as the wise men, as Gentiles, as non-Jews, did not have an oppressor like the Roman government or like the Egyptian government. The wise men and us share a Messiah, which means one very important thing, we also share an oppressor. Any idea what that might be? Sin. To understand the breadth or the significance of sin it's the effects of it that we often experience on this side of life. How many of us um, who are married have ever said something to our spouse that we have later regretted? Some of you are just proud. Oh, yeah. 
all the time, every day. How many of you as parents have often regretted something that you said or did to your kids or children? How many of us as roommates have often blown up some bridges? Amen? But I want to just take this even further and further. The effects of sin often reap a very significant punishment. That punishment's death, brokenness, sin, things that are outside of what God planned or what God deemed correct often yield death. They always, not even just often, they always lead to death. And so as the wise men come and as they bring these gifts and they offer these gifts to Jesus, this little baby, this Messiah that they understand, this is the one who will save us all. They understood that he would save them, not from any sort of government, not from any sort of people, not even from ourselves, but from the consequences of sin, which was death. Jesus, without any splendor, without any majesty, without power, without wealth, because none of these things correlate with the kingdom of God. God says, this was my plan all along. And the wise men recognized him, and they worshiped him. When we see Jesus for who he is, we will always be moved to a place of worship. Amen? Amen. So here's the question, how do we do that? trying to think where I want to go here. If the way that we see Jesus is how we're, how we understand who he is, and if that leads us to worship, I think what we also need to start with is who are we in light of who he is. I found myself sharing um, just the gospel this week with a friend of mine, a guy I've been praying for for a year Met him, loved this guy, and uh, not a Christian, not a believer, really struggled through life. And so he and I were having coffee this week, and we were just talking. And he just starts sharing these things that he wants to change about him and about his life. And he starts saying, man, I just wish I could stop doing this, and I wish I could stop, you know, playing this out. I wish I'd stop getting picked up, and I want to get out of the system, and et cetera. Without going into details, he's, he's just saying things about his life that he wishes would change. And just as he's sharing, I just think about me and my life, and, and I want to think about you and just invite you to think, are there things in your life that you just wish would change? Are there behaviors of yours you, you just wish you could stop doing? And here's what I was telling him, and I said, here's the thing about like, behaviors, is underneath behaviors are always emotions. Underneath dysfunctional behaviors are always dysfunctional emotions, feelings of, of loneliness, feelings of anger, feelings of frustration, feelings of depression. Underneath these feelings, to take it a step further, are distortions. These are different ways that we see the world or other people or God, and these always come from wounds, oftentimes early in childhood for us. And I just want you to think here because oftentimes if, if we would sit down one-on-one, yeah, um, just like I've done with many of you even in this room, and we, I start sharing some of this stuff, people without missing a beat, they go, I remember that time when I was younger and this happened to me and it scarred me for the rest of my life. And what it was was a wound that happened early on that turned into a distortion. This is how I now see the world and other people and God, which plays itself out in emotions. This is why I feel the way I do. And then it translates into behavior. This is why I act the way that I act and why I struggle so hard to change. And here's the thing. This is the good news, and this is what I got to share with my friend, is that Jesus wants to move into that place of deepest brokenness 
and heal it. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's because even though we don't totally understand how Jesus is going to do that, even though we don't understand how God's going to remedy some broken relationship in our life, even though we don't understand how God is going to fix or speak to the dysfunctional emotion or broken heart or emptiness that many of us feel, even though we don't know how, what we do finally know is who. And so... We're just going to move into a time of worship. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I'm also going to invite the ushers to come forward. But the question of how did they worship is played out in a couple different ways. The first is they gave of themselves. As the wise men showed up, they brought gifts, right? They brought gold, which speaks of their wealth. Out of their wealth, they gave to this king. And giving is often a great way for us to express worship of our God and of our king. Is giving of ourselves, But the next part that they spoke to was frankincense, and this was worship. Worship plays itself out in a number of different ways. Worship can be raising your hands. Worship can be singing. Worship can be kneeling and praying. Worship can just be prostrate on the floor. And here's the thing. um, I'm going to invite you during the next song, if you want to do that and just say, okay, God, I just want to worship you, just close your eyes. No one else around you will see anything you're doing. I promise. And just close it and just go, okay, God, here I am. I just want to worship you. I want to follow you. And I want to, I want to give you the worship that you're due. But then this myrrh speaks to, I, I don't want us to forget the significance of who Jesus was. And who Jesus is. Because just as he was anointed, just as he was set aside or set apart for a specific purpose in the redemption of each and every person in this room, Jesus also died on our behalf. And this myrrh, which is over here, helped make that beautiful and a fragrant offering that was received by God on our behalf. We're going to take an offering just like we always do, but Jesse also talked about the giving ourselves away envelope. What a great way to just go above and beyond and say, God, I just want to give back to you because I can see you for who you are. Not just for what you do for me, not just what I want from you, but because of who you are, I want to give of myself. I want to give myself away for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I just have a sense that in this room so many of us just don't know how to worship you. We have hearts that are hardened to worship you. That a lot of us maybe are going through pain or seasons of drought, seasons of uncertainty, cancer, divorce, brokenness, spiritual emptiness. God, this series called Waiting for When, so many of us have just waited for you to break into our lives in a significant way. And I just pray, Father, that you would soften hearts in the way that only you can to speak to us and to show us who you are and who we are in light of that. And God, I just thank you that you could see us for who we are in all of our brokenness, in all of our shame, in all of our dysfunction. And that you are so crazy, madly in love with us. Father, I pray that during this next song that we go into, I pray that we can worship you from the depths of our heart. 
I pray that we offer ourselves, that we give generously. But I pray even more, Father, that we give generously of ourselves and of our heart and that we give you access to things that are broken inside of us because we understand that through Jesus, you can bring healing. And that we don't have to wait until we die to experience healing and salvation and this righteousness that you speak of, but that we can experience it even today. God, I pray that you work among your people. Pray that you stir in us just a desire to to honor you, to worship you, and to invite the people around us that are broken and lost to also experience you. Father, I just pray that we would live out this covenant that you made with Abraham thousands of years ago, that we would be a blessing to the world on behalf of you. God, we're just, we're in love with you for who you are. And we just pray that you would receive us and what we give now as a fragrant offering to you. We love you. And all God's people said,